You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. Welcome on this Palm Sunday. What a great day. I've just been thinking this week about how grateful I am for the righteousness of Christ. I've been thinking about Moses and his inability to get into the promised land. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but how necessary it is for someone with full and complete righteousness to take our place in receiving the judgment of God. And that's what this Sunday is leading to. Uh, We are not fully a liturgical church. I know every time we do certain things, it feels like, oh, well, wait a minute. That's what liturgical churches do. It's nice to have some of that, like Scott was talking about, that consistency. By the way, one of the finest graphic designers anywhere is that hates technology. That's funny. Um, and he did this, uh, the, the design for these slides. But that bit of uh, interest in the events of Palm Sunday uh, is very helpful as we think about all that happened this week. And I, I thought it was so great. David said it's kind of, there's some irony in this Sunday. I mean, they were worshiping Jesus. They were saying, Hosanna, save us. But they didn't know how Jesus would say, Palm Sunday is typically a day of rejoicing as the king moves triumphantly to the center of the earth, which was Jerusalem, but it's, he wasn't entering to assume a crown, yet he knew where he was heading. He was heading to be crucified in the place of sinners. He would be mocked and put to death in one of the cruelest, most painful modes of execution ever known to man. I guess there were some that, 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 that have been and still are equal in pain and misery, but I can't even let my mind go there as to anything else. We have to come to grips with how difficult the, the crucifixion was, and yet it was far more than just the pain, the physical pain that Christ endured that was so difficult. And it was the spotless, pure, spotless Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for sinners as he moved intentionally toward Jerusalem. If you believe that Jesus came to die, if you believe that Jesus died in the place of sinners, if you believe into Jesus, as the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John says over and over in his gospel, then you will have believed the most important truth in life. Not everyone is convinced that Jesus' death was meaningful at the level that he bore our sins, as we talked about in Isaiah 53 last week. A lot of people think Jesus died for other reasons. There are some who do not believe that God exists, much less Jesus Is God, there are some who wish that God didn't exist because then they wouldn't have to be accountable to him. C.S. Lewis calls himself, called himself one of the most reluctant converts ever because he he knew that when he converted to Christ, he would have to give up this unaccountable life that he so enjoyed living. 
There are those who believe in different gods, those who believe in the God of Israel, but not Jesus. They say, oh yes, I believe in Yahweh, but not Jesus. Now we fully understand Jesus to be Yahweh in, in the writings of the New Testament. But there are a lot who say, no, I believe in the God of the Old Testament, but not the Trinity, the triune God of the New Testament. So how can one be sure who Jesus was? And how can one be sure that the events of, of Holy Week in Jerusalem are meaningful to us today? Does it have any meaning? Obviously, most of you think so, or you suspect that it's possible, or you wouldn't be here on Sunday morning. There was a religious man in Jesus' day who had the exact same kinds of questions that people ask today, but he was able to go directly to Jesus and have a conversation with him. Uh, we're privileged to read about that conversation in John 3. In fact, this conversation was unlike just about any other that Jesus had with another person. Lots of times uh, Jesus was, was talking with someone like the woman at the well or he was talking with crowds and he was debating back and forth. But the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus is unique and I think you'll find it so as we work our way through a portion of John 3. Um, Nicodemus interacted with Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And, and as we watch him in the Gospel of John, we see him being transformed from a place of spiritual darkness into the light by the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Although objective observers who didn't believe that Jesus was God would look at Nicodemus and think he had lost his mind. Absolutely gone crazy to believe in Jesus. There is much to say today with little time in which to, to, to say it. So we'll start by reading the text of uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. If you would please stand for the reading of Scripture. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Sometimes people are critical of speakers or writers who say, listen to this, listen to me, or look at this now. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Truly, truly, listen to me. You can't, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is, wait a minute, I just said that, didn't I? Didn't we do verse 6? I've got it twice here. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, not everything can be scientifically proven. Not everything can be explained at the level that people want it explained. 
Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. <clears throat> and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, <clears throat> so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Well, Lord... I think we all identify with that. There are times we don't want the light to expose us. Give us hearts that long for the light. Give us hearts that long for Jesus and for Him to reign supreme in our lives. Help us to understand this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus at the kinds of levels that will not only <clears throat> strengthen our faith, but Lord may very well cause some to believe. It's a living word, and I pray that you would bring it, send it deep into our hearts. And then, Lord, may we look at this as according to this series that we've been considering about engaging the world with the gospel and think about ways that we can learn from Christ uh, and our witness for and to him. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Although there are a lot of categories we could consider this morning, we're going to stick to three from this text, beginning with the necessity of being born again for all who wish to see the kingdom of God. You ever thought about what this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus might have looked like, might have felt like, how it, it, it sort of felt to be in the room with these two? You might think because Nicodemus came <clears throat> to Jesus at night, that he was kind of sneaking around, kind of sneaking in at night so that nobody would know that he was going to see Jesus. And there very well may be some truth to that. But the Gospel of John presents certain themes that you see over and over and over again. I've told you this a hundred times. I'm going to say it again. The Gospel of John indicates to me more the, the power of the Word of God than anything. The simplest grammar, the simplest vocabulary, and structured in amazing ways. Ways that are well beyond John. 
well beyond John's ability to do. So John has this theme that goes over and over. Spiritual darkness to light. And at the very least, God was saying that Nicodemus was in darkness at this point. He was curious though. Um, He was the teacher of Israel. That um, uh, modifier there, that... What's the word I'm looking for? The, a, what's that? Article, Article, that article, that definite article. The teacher of Israel indicates that he was a very prominent teacher in the nation. The religious people looked to him very highly. Because Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin or the council of men who oversaw religious and civil affairs in Israel we can surmise that Nicodemus was fairly old when he came to Jesus, as indeed the the text seems to indicate uh, the case to be. Unlike other Pharisees, though, Jesus was curious. Uh, Nicodemus, rather, was curious about Jesus. And he suspected that there may be something special about Jesus' ministry. He stated that he thought so on the basis of Jesus' miracles. Although... He perhaps stated it with a little bit of skepticism. Most of the religious leaders tried to explain away Jesus' miracles. But Nicodemus said, no, something is up with that. (coughs) Jesus didn't even acknowledge Nicodemus saying, maybe maybe he had a little bit of sarcasm when he says, hey, we know that you're a teacher because you do these mighty works and you must come from God. God. He didn't acknowledge Nicodemus' cautious compliment. He went straight to the heart of the matter. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, look, the kingdom of God is not even on your radar. You think you're right in the middle of it. You're not even close. You can't even see the kingdom of God. Now, notice the way that Jesus interacted with Nicodemus. It was different from the way he interacted with the woman at the well. And as mentioned a few weeks ago, he almost never used the same method over and over. Or uh, twice even. That's instructive for us when we witness to people. You can't just do the same thing for every person. Which is why it's so important to understand the more you know about about the gospel, the more you know about the word, the easier it is to tailor the presentation for the individual with whom you were talking. Jesus contextualized the gospel for each individual. We hear that word a lot today, contextualization. You need to fit the gospel for the people that it, uh, is, is who are hearing it. And indeed, that's the case. We're going to read in not too many weeks, hints in Peter, uh, Paul saying, look, to, the, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside the law, I came, became as one outside the law so that by all means I could win some to Christ or I could save somebody meant win them to Christ. So we'll get to that, but, but don't think, oh, this is the way society is and you end up finding yourself in a very narrow way. It's just maybe a contemporary way of sharing the gospel, but it's still cookie-cutter type sharing of the gospel. Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus, who is a very bright guy, and there's all kinds of stuff going on here that is subtle. There's a lot unsaid, but you know that Nicodemus is getting what Jesus is saying, and Jesus knows where 
to point his arrows. So again, when you think about the tenor of this conversation, you, 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 you sense that there's this wry, kind of a dry comments and humor exchange going on between these two with a hint of sarcasm sprinkled in for good measure. I mean, after Jesus told Nicodemus that anyone who wants to see the kingdom of God must be born again, Nicodemus is probably like, so, so what? I, I'm supposed to enter my mother's womb? An old man like me is going to enter again to his mother's womb and, and be born a second time? Look, he's bright enough to know that's not what Jesus is saying. He's kind of mocking Jesus a little bit, or just a hint of sarcasm. But he's really interested. Jesus' response follows a pattern that, once again, we often see in John. Jesus makes a physical point, physical analogy, uses a physical analogy to illustrate a spiritual point. And he doubles down on Nicodemus' need to be born again. Now he says, not you must see, be born again to see the kingdom of God, but you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. One must be born of water and spirit. Now, it's not likely in verse 5, if you've got your Bible open, look in verse 5. It's not likely that Jesus is talking about physical birth and spiritual birth. He certainly is in verse 6, but in verse 5, you must be born of water and spirit. Oh, gosh, it just you can't believe how many ideas there are about what this means. A lot of people say, well, it's physical birth. You know, water is associated with physical birth. It is in the 21st century. In the first century, physical birth was associated with blood. Look at John 1.13. He talks about um, blood in association with physical birth or with human life. Um, it, it, it's, it's probably not talking about baptism. Catholics would, some uh, Protestants would think that he's talking about baptism in the spirit. A lot of evangelicals would say that he's talking about a spiritual cleansing. And that's where I lean, although I'm not rock solid certain about that. We don't know what he said. So I don't know. You don't know either. You may think you know, but you don't know. So there. Come to church to be told you're dumb. Is that what? Uh, no, I didn't say you're dumb. I said we're all dumb. Okay, we're all, uh, we're all lacking in it. Without question, Jesus goes on to make the point in verse 6, there is a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Without spiritual birth, one cannot enter the kingdom of God. And here, Jesus strikes at the core of Nicodemus' hope for salvation when he moves from saying that every individual must be born again to saying that you, plural, y'all, must be born again. In other words, take no comfort in your colleagues' misperception and misconception that salvation can be obtained by keeping the law. Now look, we don't do it the same way that they did it, but we do the exact same thing when you think about it. When you go on social media and you determine what people think about the things that you have said. You view yourself through what others think about you. When your job performance, when you get a, a review at, jo at your job performance, 
Are you looking at it like, oh, thank you, that's helpful. I'll, I'll give attention to that. Or are you, you know, going home saying, that guy's stupid, he's an idiot, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Because you can't bear to think that you're not good enough. And Jesus says, not only you must be born again, He says, all of you, if you want to enter the kingdom, you all must be born again. The two men were going back and forth with Nicodemus playfully jabbing at Jesus' theology. But Jesus struck a nerve here. And in so doing, Nicodemus goes from comfortable debater to incredulous theologian. Now he's like, how can these things be? And you know what Nicodemus betrays when he says that? That he's got interest in Jesus. That he's seriously considering that Jesus may be from God. How can these things be? I don't get it. I don't understand it. He was trying to wrap his mind around gospel truth. He wasn't accusing Jesus like other Pharisees of being a Samaritan or you have a demon. Whenever they didn't like something Jesus said. He was trying to wrap his mind around gospel truth. And now it was Jesus' turn to mess with Nicodemus. Oh, so you are the teacher of Israel. And you don't get this? You don't understand? Then Jesus said in so many words, Nicodemus, unless you believe, you will never be born again. It's not been too long since we've thought about Nicodemus. Do you remember that? A few weeks ago in John chapter 7. All the opinions that people were expressing about Jesus. And the council got together and they were saying even then, we got to kill him. We've got to kill this guy. And Nicodemus tried to defend him. Does our law put someone to death before trying them? And, and they accused him. What are you? Some? Uh, did you come from Galilee too? What are you? So Nicodemus was quiet. During that sermon a few weeks ago, one of the points, the main points that I had was that that you have to bring, bring people to a yes or no decision about Jesus. Look, I, I got a little bit of feedback on that, and I understand. I, could, I should have worded that a little differently. I don't mean that every time you talk to somebody that you have to say, all right, let's hear it. Yes or no about Jesus. The point is that ultimately, sooner or later, people have to recognize that they have to do business with Jesus one way or the other. And when Nicodemus was being told, you must be born again, Jesus was not saying to him, let's have it, Nicodemus, right now, make the decision. But he's essentially saying, if you're going to get to heaven, then you're going to have to be born again. You will have to determine what you will do. Do with me. What was it that Nicodemus needed to believe about Jesus in order to be be born again? Well, that's the focus of our second point. There is no life without death. Somebody's got to die. Jesus effectively communicated to Nicodemus that in spite of his religious pedigree, which was considerable, significant, 
he was lost. If this religious giant who knew the Bible, the only Bible that existed was the Old Testament. If this religious giant who knew the Bible as well as anyone alive could not be saved, then who could be saved? In Jesus' day, there were a lot of stories about going by saints saints who had gone into heaven, gotten wisdom from God, and they had come back down. Now look, I didn't study this at this... I studied this fairly deep, but, but I didn't study at this level to, to make sure that this is exactly what he was saying. But I think Jesus is saying in verse 13, you've heard those stories, they're not true. Let me tell you who comes from heaven. He's the one... Let me tell you who you should listen to. The one who comes from heaven. Heaven. Nobody ascends to heaven except he who descended from heaven. And that's me. Nicodemus. You may not see this in Jesus' remarks. But Nicodemus surely understood that Jesus was claiming. I'm God. I've come down from heaven. And the only one who can come down from heaven is God. Certainly he wasn't an angel who came in and out. He was not a a particular messenger of God. He was saying, I am God. And yet, here Jesus was saying that the Son of Man would be crucified. Again, you may not see that quite yet. Nicodemus got it. Though he didn't have it all worked out in his mind, at some level, Nicodemus may have understood Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh who would be crucified for the benefit of the people so that men and women might be born again and have eternal life. That's what all Jesus was saying. All of that was wrapped up in this conversation. Look at verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him might have eternal life. I'm going to guess at least half of you know what Jesus was referring to. Maybe more than half of you. Maybe most of you. He was looking back to Numbers chapter 21 where the children of Israel had come out of Egypt and they were complaining. They were tromping around in the wilderness and they they were complaining. They said, this manna, all we have is manna. It would have been better for us to have stayed in Egypt and to have continued to be slaves We had anything we wanted to eat back then. Well, God sent poisonous snakes to remind them that they had it better than they thought they did. Uh, Has God ever done that for you? He's reminded you that you have it better than you think you do? Parents always have to teach children this at some point, right? You've got it better than you think you do, young lady or young man. And let's just take away a few privileges and see how you like it that. Because people all over the world don't have anything close to what you have. Well, God may do that. But the purpose of the snakes was part of telling this gospel story. Not just in the New Testament, but all the way through Scripture we see the gospel. And the snakes were the negative part of the, of the gospel story. It's the bad news that precedes <coughs> The good news, because it reminded the people or it pointed out the sin of the people. And they cried out to Moses, who knows if their repentance was true, but they said, we have sinned, please speak to the Lord. We're going to all die from these snakes if we don't. 
So per God's instructions, Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and lifted it up. And he said, anyone who will look on this snake will live. Just look at the snake and believe you're going to be all right. This bronze serpent and you will live. Does that story, does that way of God make any sense at all apart from the gospel? I guess it doesn't have to. God can do what he wants to do, but just think about how it ties in to the gospel. Don't you know that there were a lot of people who refused to look at the snake? <coughs> Why would they? Well, unbelief. That's crazy. I'm not going to do that. Give me a doctor, please. Somebody suck the venom out of my ankle. Uh, no, look at the snake. Pride. Anger with God. I would rather die than look at that snake. Out of your own mouth. You are condemned. All you have to do is look. Simple, isn't it? Yes, and it is profound when you have part two of the same story. Jesus would be lifted up on a cross. Nicodemus knew that's what he was saying. And by the way, every time John uses the word lifted up, it's a dual meaning. Lifted up on the cross and lifted up to be glorified. The Apostle Paul does the same thing in, in Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus humbled himself, was obedient to death, even death on the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And very likely Nicodemus would have gotten all of that and what Jesus was saying. His mind is going a hundred miles an hour. Those who look to the, to the crucified Savior with repentant hearts and in faith will live. In other words, those who believe that Jesus died as a sacrifice for their sins will have eternal life. While Nicodemus got some of what Jesus was saying, there was no way he fully grasped everything. But it seems to me that it came to him in time. More about that in just a few moments. At the very least, Jesus was chipping away <clears throat> at the notion that the religious leaders had fashioned for themselves. Those who keep the law will be saved, and those who don't keep the law, those who break the law, will face God's judgment. In our day, it sounds like this. Good people will go to heaven. Bad people will go to hell. If there is a hell. Now, really, it's no different today than it was back then. If you keep the law, you'll go to heaven. Who can keep the whole law? Nobody. So you know what you do? You fashion a law that you can keep. You make a law that is acceptable for you so that you can be acceptable to God. And that's what we do today. Instead, today, though, it's not like we, they, they say, well, okay, the Sabbath, here's what God says about the Sabbath, but let's just keep building fences around it so that we don't get close to it. But also they would say, you know, God allows divorce. Your wife burnt your food, divorce her. She put too much salt in the food. You don't have to put up with that. Come on. Get out of there. Be happy. It's just a different way. And today, it's like, look, what's wrong if two men, if two women love each other? What's wrong with that? Whatever suits you, live that way and say, 
This is what really counts. This is what God believes. Look, whatever your weakness is, I, I, I'm sympathetic. <clears throat> I may not understand at the level, but whatever your weakness is, I, I'm sorry. I've got weaknesses of my own. This week, uh, coming back from Indianapolis at the Gospel Coalition, really, we had an awesome time. Joe and Stefania and, and um, uh, Stefano and Mary, whom you'll meet next Sunday morning, were with us. And Allison was there. Ricky was there. We were all there. We saw a lot of other people um, that we knew. It was a great time and coming back I guess I was so enraptured actually at my age let's just face it I was exhausted when I got back and I Jim is older than me yes but I'm, I'm up there and so about 1230 at night we got in about six o'clock about 1230 that night I realized that I had left my computer my book bag and computer on the um bus, you know, that we rode to get to the shuttle, and to the car. And so Allison kept saying, you're handling this really well. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, hey, what can you do? I, I am at some level. I'm close to panicking on the inside. I had to use her Mac to, uh, her Mac. <laughs> uh, uh, I know, I know, I know. That's the opposite for most of you. And, and, and word for Mac is just not the same as word for Windows. You got it, you know? And, and so I'm, I figured it out. I'm, I'm trying to get everything formatted. In fact, Tony had to work on these slides. It, they look different because it's all formatted. Everything's formatted differently. But <clears throat> I had done three quarters of my message yesterday, and I had stepped away for just a brief time. And I came back and it was gone. And I mean gone, gone, gone. Somebody said, you should have just asked Allison. I said, no, no. <laughs> what she knows about Mac, she knows from me. And I, that's not much. So, or Ricky. Ricky helps or something. But um, I am surprised that Jim and Diane, two blocks away, didn't come running saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? When I realized this sermon is gone. Life is just difficult. I found it, by the way. Uh, hallelujah. So this is not the second attempt at it. This is the first attempt. But there are no home group notes this week. You should know that. I thought about that Friday, and then I thought about it again this morning. So I'm sorry as I could be. No home group notes. Just watch the Masters tonight if you're meeting on Sunday. There's so much to talk about from John chapter 3, though, and the way that we witness. You won't have any problems with this. And I got off on all of that by saying, by thinking about the fact that we all have our weaknesses. And I'm sorry about your weaknesses. I would like to fashion a law that accommodates my weaknesses, but I don't get to do that. The scripture is clear about right and wrong. And, and thank the Lord that He is such a gracious, forgiving 
God. And it is a fantasy to think that you're going to stand before God in heaven one day. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, according to what the culture thinks is acceptable, or according to what you think is acceptable, that you're going to get into heaven. Jesus says to you, you must be born again if you want to go to heaven. Moses, the the one who wrote the law, was not so sanguine about our chances. And God's dealings with him indicated that he was right to be pessimistic. I was reading this past week in Deuteronomy 31 and 32. And I was jolted with the truth. In chapter 31, Moses said that there is a blessing for those who keep the law. And then he said, but you're not going to. You're going to fail. And God's judgment is going to come down heavy on you. I know you're just a bunch of rebellious people. And, and Moses said over and over. Look, I don't even get to go into the promised land. Because you provoked me to anger. And I struck the rock instead of, spoke to the, instead of speaking to the rock like God had commanded. In chapter 32, verse 47, God says, This law is no empty word to you, but it is life itself. Now that's an encouraging word. There is life in the word of God. God spoke to Moses, the one who had passed God's word to the Lord's covenant people while carrying this incredibly heavy burden of leadership. And here's what he said. Go up on Mount Nebo. This is in chapter 32. Verses 47, 48. Following there. Indicating nobody can keep God's law. These words are life to you. But Moses go up on Mount Nebo. Take a look at the promised land. You won't be able to go in though. You know why? Because you broke faith with me. You betrayed me at Mirabah Kedesh. When you struck the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock like I commanded you. That's tough, isn't it? I hear it all the time. Gosh, I feel sorry for Moses. He wasn't allowed to go in. I get it. I I, I get the point. And it strikes me that the law will never get you into the promised land. Only Joshua, Yahweh saves Jesus. Joshua, Jesus will take you into the promised land. Charles Spurgeon said this. When God saw Jesus in the sinner's place, he did not spare him. When he finds the unregenerate without Christ, he will not spare them. That's a difficult word. But it's a true word. It's what scripture says. Look, remember what we read in John 3? All are, all are condemned until God changes their condition through Christ. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Now look, Moses is going to be there. I am convinced of that. But only those who are found in Christ. Moses is there not because of his ability to keep the law, but because of his faith in God's promises. Nicodemus, you must be born again. How? Believe in the Messiah who, by the way, will die in your place according to the prophecy of Isaiah 53. This past week I was back and forth with my son Michael. He was at the conference also, but this was after the conference about the the truth in Deuteronomy. 
And he said this in response with an approved tweet to his comments. In the Old Testament, the promise of life. Remember, he said, these words are life to you. But you're going to not keep the law, so you're going to be not in a good place with God. In the Old Testament, the promise of life is swallowed up by the reality of death. But in the New Testament, the promise of death is swallowed up by the reality of life in Jesus Christ. Praise Jesus. Indeed, our last point is the blessings of belief. There was enormous pressure for Nicodemus not to believe. There may well have been that element of secrecy to the leader coming to Jesus by night. But he went to Jesus and heard an all or nothing proposition put to him. Be born again or do not go into the kingdom. Is there a more beautiful expression anywhere in scripture of God's love for us? Then John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look, there's a sense in this word gave. It comes from the Greek word didomi. And it's connected at a loose level with the Greek word paradidomi that is used of Jesus when, I mean Judas, when Judas delivered Jesus into their hands. There's almost that sense. God gave his son up. Because of his love for us, God gave Jesus over. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Certainly in keeping with what we read last week in Isaiah 53. With so many in our day accusing the father of cruelty for putting his son to death. Remember, it was the father's love for you. That made the blessing of eternal life possible through Jesus' sacrificial death. Verse 17 tells us that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. That doesn't mean that Jesus delivered everybody from condemnation. No, it means that everyone was already condemned and then Jesus delivered some. He saved some from condemnation. Who did he save? Those who believe. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already <coughs> because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Very much like John 3.36. If we believe, we're delivered from wrath. If we don't believe, the wrath of God abides or remains on us. So what we're believing is that Jesus absorbed this wrath that we deserved. It's a matter of darkness and life. And even though you would anticipate this mass movement from darkness to light because people say, wait a minute, there's truth, there's life. For some reason, most people are, are comfortable in darkness. It's kind of like trying to help your kids with stuff, you know, and they're like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Leave me alone, I can do this. And then, of course, help me. But... Most of us think we've got this with God. I can do this. And in fact, light isn't easy. Because if I stay in darkness, I can relate to God on my terms. But when I come into the light, it's all Him. So why do people avoid it? It's not easy. 
Light is not easy, but it is a blessing. I imagine that Nicodemus sought to hide his growing affection for Jesus from the religious leaders. We're not told how the conversation in John 3 ended. In fact, I don't know why I'm even saying this. I shouldn't say this because it'll mess with your mind if you've never heard it, never thought about it. But there's a lot of debate about who's speaking in John 3.16. It could be Jesus continuing his conversation or it may be that the Apostle John has taken over and is given commentary on what was stated um, before that, which is pretty interesting because as somewhere in this series we talked about the fact that Jesus spoke of hell over and over and over, and yet only one time in the Gospels is it recorded Jesus said, God loves you, and it's right here in John 3.16, and maybe he didn't even say it. Maybe it was the Apostle John saying it at this particular point. So we don't know how this conversation ended. We do know in John 7, the Feast of Tabernacles, years later, that Nicodemus sought to defend Jesus and he was rebuked. Had Nicodemus come to faith at that point? I, I, I don't know. We do know this. The evidence for Nicodemus' faith is substantial. In John 19, when Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, took Jesus' body from the cross and prepared it for burial. I don't know if he literally took it from the cross. The Roman soldiers may have done that. But they took his body and prepared it for burial. By the way, defiling themselves at Passover. That was a big deal for Jews. Nicodemus' act was a... An amazing act of faith. And it appears that he was fully in the light at this point. You can imagine that by doing what they did, Nicodemus and Joseph were putting themselves in significant danger with the religious leaders. But again, think about Nicodemus' movement toward faith. Jesus told him in John 3 that the Son of Man would be lifted up. Crucified, yes, but also exalted. You wouldn't expect, like the woman at the well, when Jesus talked to her about rivers of water flowing from you and never thirsting again, she got what he was talking about at that level. But when he said to Nicodemus, the Son of Man must be lifted up, Nicodemus got it. He understood what Jesus was saying. Then in John... 11, we're told about a remarkable word that comes to the Sanhedrin. So Jesus tell, has this conversation with Nicodemus in John 3 and John 7. Nicodemus was rebuked for defending Jesus. Then in John 11, just a few weeks before Jesus was crucified, you remember what happened there? Someone came to the council and said, you're never going to believe what Jesus has done now. And they said, wait, 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 hold your, hold your word. Let's get all the council together and tell them. So the entire Sanhedrin is there. As far as we know, Nicodemus is there. And they said, you're not going to believe it. Lazarus, you know, this this brother of Mary and Martha. Four days in the grave and he raises him from the dead. And Caiaphas is like, we got to kill him. And I can just, in my imagination, I see this entire, no, no, we can't do that. We have to kill him. And yet Nicodemus is sitting there stunned thinking about the implications. 
That's speculation. It's not necessarily, this is not true, but his actions seem to indicate it. Why wouldn't there be a, a, a better account of that? In Scripture, if indeed this is what's happened, I'll finish it up in just a moment at, at the resurrection, thinking about the resurrection. Well, maybe because it's not about Nicodemus, it's about Jesus. Look, whether you... John Calvin is... It's an idol. He's an idol for some and, and a, a, a cursed demon from hell for others, it feels like, you know. It's like... People love John Calvin or they hated John Calvin, but you don't know the real John Calvin. We heard a lot about him this week. You know what he, he, he insisted that he'd be buried in a common grave without a, 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 a graveyard for common people without a marker. He did not want anybody to, to get the focus off of him. He wanted the focus on Jesus. Nicodemus quietly comes and prepares Jesus' body for burial. Is it possible that he anticipated the resurrection? I think it is. I think it is. Mary of Bethany may have been one of the very few who understood that Jesus was going to die. She anointed his body for burial. And Nicodemus may have been one of the very few who understood and anticipated Jesus' resurrection. On this Palm Sunday, we contemplate the Holy Week that is before us. Most of which leaves us appropriately sad and reflective as we anticipate Jesus' agony of soul and body in the crucifixion, when the wrath of God will be poured out on Jesus for sinners on Friday. By the way, please do your best to be here for a Good Friday service. It's kind of like a Monday, Thursday, Good Friday service rolled up into one on Friday night. At Christmas, we have decided no longer to do communion because it's we want so many people to come. And communion is a meal for for family members, but we'll do it on Good Friday. We want to come and remember the death, burial of Jesus Christ. And then next Sunday, we're going to say hallelujah for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We no longer walk in darkness. We'll walk in light. It's one of the blessings given to those who believe. Let's pray. If you are here this morning looking for great application from a message to help you get through this week, I'm not sure you found what you were looking for. If you listen to the word and believe it will help you get through eternity, It will allow you not only to see, but to enter the kingdom of God if you believe that Jesus died in your stead. If you are here today, and you may have been here many years, you may be here for the very first time. 
But if you have just been hoping against hope, everything will turn out all right. Maybe you think, well, there's nothing beyond death. Maybe you think, I think I'm okay. I think I've done good enough stuff that, that God will accept me. Could it be that the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, you must be born again. You're going to have to deal with Jesus. You may reject him outright. You may say, I really don't think it's all that big of a deal. But, but scripture presents him as the one who determines whether you enter heaven or not. He is the gate. Apart from him, there is no salvation. No other name is given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. But, but Jesus. Would you just, in your heart, look, I, I, I do this maybe once or twice a year. I didn't plan to do this today, but maybe, maybe the Spirit is speaking to you. Would you just say before the Lord, I, I, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that I'm in trouble because not only am I not good enough, nobody can be good enough, but... You're dealing with me, God, and I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus was and is God. And He came in the flesh and lived the perfect life. And thus was the perfect sacrifice for me. And I don't know why you did this for me, Lord, but I believe that Jesus died in my place. And I call on you to save me. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the Lord tells us in Romans 10, 13. Would you do that? Just cry out in your heart to the Lord. He promises to save you. For those of you who believe, which is most, you're not amazed at our God and His plan for our redemption? Are you not astounded with His love? Are you not appreciative of the Son of God who gave up His own will and went to the cross, giving up fellowship with the Father for that time and enduring the, the, the equivalent of an eternity in hell For all who will be saved. Are you not grateful for the Holy Spirit? Who teaches us the truth about Jesus. Even though it's written. We don't get it without his help. Who draws us to the Lord. Father. You are an amazing God. And we thank you.
to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.